I will try not to be long before you this evening. It will take me about 40, 45 minutes to finish everything, depending on how the Holy Spirit is moving. It might just go to 30 minutes, 35 minutes, or it might just go on the other side. So, so we will see what happens. But I want to do this as a continuation, a part continuation of what I spoke to you last week. I spoke to you about Rahab the harlot. And I'm just making a segue to go and speak about the city that is in the midst of the story, the city of Jericho. But within that, there's a crucial component that many of us never really take time to study, but it's a critical element of the story, which is the wall of Jericho. But I'm coming from this wise, I'm going to give you my subject title first, then I'll give you my main verses and then we'll work from there. But I'm coming from this perspective. I have given Jericho into your hand. I have given Jericho into your hand. That's the title for tonight's message. I've given Jericho into your hand. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse number 12, from the King James Version. I will also read Joshua chapter 6, verse 1 to 5. I will also jump over in the same chapter to verse number 20 and 21. I will also reference Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. I'm saying all this so you can write in your notes which verses I am basing this Message on Habakkuk chapter 2, verse number 12, Joshua 6, verse 1 to 5, Joshua 6, verse 20 and 21. Then we'll also look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 12. They're all coming from the New King James Version, but when I gave them my notes, it's coming from the King James Version. So it's a slight differentiation, but they're exactly the same. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse number 12 says, Woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed who established a city by iniquity. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1 to 5. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand its king, and the mighty men of valor. Here's the strategy. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven days and seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priest shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass. When they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city 
will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. And verse number 20, 21, which is the fulfillment of what God has said. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. And the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they out, they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both men and women, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 12, I think you all know this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Father, have your way in this service. When everything is said and done, we will give you all the praise and all the glory, because one, you deserve it all, Two, you are worthy of it all. In Jesus' name, amen. So the text I read for you from the book of Joshua is really not an obscure text from a book that you don't really spend much time on. In your days in Sunday school, probably in your young age, if you've been in church all your life, or maybe Sunday school classes and adult classes, or maybe just... Hearing Bible stories in general, you will hear the story of a man called Joshua. Joshua is the one who was assisting Moses on their journey from Egypt in the Promised Land. Joshua as well was in charge of the army. If you remember your scriptures, that he is the one who was fighting the Amalekites in the valley, whilst Moses, Aaron, and her were up. Moses was sitting on a rock with his hands got tied, putting them down. The battle will go against them, against Joshua. Then they lift up Moses' hands, and the battle went went their way. And there was a revelation there: the Lord is our banner. If you remember the story there, Joshua also is. One of the 12 spies that were sent by Moses to spy the promised land. And we know the story that 10 of the, of the 12, 10 came and gave a report that was contrary to the report that Joshua and Caleb gave. And because of the majority and the fear that people had, Joshua and Caleb's testimony was overwritten. God was angry. He caused them to walk around the wilderness for 40 years until the generation of the men of war died and then God commissioned Joshua now to say go across the river Jordan you're going to go and take the possession that's where we're coming from last week you know the story of Rahab when Joshua not didn't send 12 he only sent two to go into the promised land you know how they were being chased out being run after when they went to heed in 
Hey, Rehab's house on the top of the roof and all those different, different stories. This is the Joshua that we, we are talking about. But before I really tie everything to Joshua and Jericho, I want to just present some thoughts that are going to help me tie the whole story as to why it was important for God to say, I have given Jericho into your hand. Now, when you're doing this teaching, you have to be very, very careful. It is not our responsibility to go looking for demonic spirits. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. Our job is just to pursue God. But should anything happen along the way, God will give us the divine power to be able to, to deal with that. That's number one. And number two, the things I'm going to be speaking about, I am speaking from a historical perspective. Because I have to be careful to lay that foundation. I'm speaking from a historical perspective. Uh, unless you are led by the Holy Spirit to go and study the present day cities that we'll mention, you can do that if you want to. Is that okay? But I'm speaking from a historical perspective. I don't want to say, well, Pastor Perkins said this, so this is what's happening in Houston, it must be because of this. This is what's happening in Austin, it must be because of, I don't want to say that. I'm coming from a historical perspective, biblical perspective, and some of the historical context of what I've learned over the years from the books that I've read in terms of history. First thing that you have to understand is that every city has a personality. Every city has a personality. It has an atmosphere, and it has a character which differentiates it from another city. If you are from Houston, the moment you walk into Dallas, you can tell the difference. The moment you walk into Austin, you can tell the difference. And can I just throw one more city I've been to in Houston? I've been to San Antonio. It's going to be totally different, even though we are in the same state. But each city has a different atmosphere, personality, and character. You can even look at the city of Houston, as we say, that if you go into Pasadena, the atmosphere is different than you walk into Deer Park or you walk into Galena Park or into Galveston. We are in the same city, but everything is different because each city has a personality, has an atmosphere, and it also has a character. But what contributes to this difference in character? Now, this is where I have to remind you again, this is coming from a historical perspective. So I'm saying what gave ancient cities character, atmosphere, and personality. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse number 12, says to us, Woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed. So the first thing that we have to understand that every city is built by people, that's number one, or a city can be built by God. Habakkuk says, Woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed. So the town can be built by bloodshed, which means by war, attrition, blood is spilled, build a city. 
Sometimes the city, same verse, can be established by iniquity, which is sin. So the iniquity that established one city will be different from the iniquity that established another city, different in character, even though they may be in the same geographical location. Hebrews 11.10 tells us, For he looked, that's Abraham, for a city which had foundations whose builder and maker is God. So is it going to be built by people? Man, it can be built by God. It's going to give them a different character, a different atmosphere. And then in that building, you have to understand when you are building something, it has to have a foundation. It has to have a foundation. Then when you're building a wall, it has to have a foundation. I told you in Hebrews 11.10, whose which is foundation whose maker and builder is God. Revelation 21, verse number 19. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. Different foundations. Joshua 6.26 says, uh, Then Joshua made them taken off at that time, saying, Cursed before God is the man who rises up and builds the city of Jericho. That's rebuilding the city of Jericho after it was destroyed. He will build it with the loss of his firstborn. He shall lay its foundation. And with the loss of his secondborn, he shall set up its gates. So it's going to require a sacrifice. Oh, it's going to get good just now. He's building my little foundation right here. 1 Kings 16.34, it also tells you about it. It says, in the days of hell, the Bethlehem built Jericho. So the man, Joshua said, if you're going to do, build, rebuild the city, you're going to lose your firstborn and your secondborn. 1 Kings 16.34 tells the story about a man who rebuilt the city of Jericho with the, his sons being in the foundations. means they died. So because... Each city has a foundation. We can safely say that there is a foundation for Nineveh. There is a foundation for Sidon. There's a foundation for Canaan. And there is a foundation for Jericho. Before I go deeper into the foundation, it is also important to know that there is always a motivation to build a city. Why is the city being built? Why? Because whoever is building the city cannot just say I'm building for the sake of building. There is a reason why they're building the city. Remember in the days of old, the man who built the Tower of Babel, there was a city, all those different things. There's a purpose. In the ancient time, People were very superstitious. Remember, I said every city has a personality, atmosphere, and character. So the superstitions of the people who are building the city or laying the foundations of a city are going to affect the atmosphere. It's going to affect the character, their superstition. 
You remember again from the narrative we were given when God had a conversation with Abraham, he said, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. So I'm not going to give you the city yet, but when your sons come up, the iniquity will be full. And I'll give you the land. Why? Because in those days, besides for being superstitious, they were literally pagan societies, worshiping idols and strange gods. And because they were worshiping idols and strange gods and with their superstition, they believed in the interaction between the spirit realm and the natural realm. How can you be worshiping a God if there is no spiritual dimension to anything? And because they worshiped God or whatever strange gods that they had, it is important for you to know that when they were building a city, they usually dedicated the city to the God or the gods that they worshiped. Are we still together? Every city has a personality, atmosphere, and character. They believed in strange gods. They were superstitious. So the god that they worshipped contributed to the atmosphere and the character of that city. When they were building the city, it is important for you to understand that security was important. So whenever they are building a city, besides establishing physical structures around the city for safety and security, they believe that the God or the gods that they are worshipping will protect them in the city. Are we still together? Because they believe that these gods that they are worshipping will protect the city. They had to worship this God. And you and I from just an overview of the Bible understands that if there is going to be worship, there has to be sacrifice. And if there is sacrifice, there has to be an altar. So every city back then they had a God that they were worshipping. They had places where they were going to offer up the sacrifices in their acts of worship to the God that they believed. Now, just again from a historical perspective, that those altars required a sacrifice. The sacrifice can be Going back, but way, way back in the Genesis. Remember Cain and Abel, they brought their sacrifice before God. One brought plants, the other one brought what? So you can offer, they're offering grain, they're offering whatever. Sometimes they're offering what? The blood of animals on the sacrifices. But just an understanding again of pagan rites and all those different things. There is a grading system to the power that is released based on the sacrifice. It's an extrapolation or an, an expansion of the idea that one sacrifice was acceptable and the other was not. 
You can offer the blood of a chicken. You get power. You bring the blood of a goat, you get power. You bring the blood of a cow, you get power. Then you bring the blood of a human sacrifice. Now you are talking what? So on their altars, they would offer the blood of all those things that I've said, and sometimes they would offer human sacrifice. Sometimes they'll offer their children, like they'll offer their children to Molech. Why are they doing so in terms of, they're doing it to get what? Divine protection. And sometimes they are doing it just as an act of worship. Now, whenever you are doing that thing, if the foundations of your city are going to be strong, you are going to offer up a bigger sacrifice at the building of or the establishment of your city. Are we still together? So if you look historically, just history in general, almost of the castles in Europe and all those different places, in their walls, some of them will literally bury somebody alive. Because they believed in the spirit of the dead coming back to be guardians over the city. So some archaeologists have been digging and they literally found human skeletons within the structures of the walls of the city. Sometimes if there's a plague going on in a city, they'll say we're going to offer up a virgin to avert the plague. Saying this, because the sacrifice has to be an altar. Where is the altar? There are different places in the city where they will offer up the sacrifices. Are we still together? Ah, help me, Jesus. I've given Jericho into your hands. But besides having places in the city where they offer up sacrifices, that defensive structure that they built around the city the wall itself was more than just a wall for defense in terms of human interaction. But the city itself, the, the wall itself was literally an altar. So instead of going to a remote place where there's an altar to offer a sacrifice, they will go up the wall. Help me, Jesus. They will go up the wall and offer up their sacrifice. Second Kings chapter 3, verse 21 to 27, about the king of Moab who offered his son on the wall. So the wall was an altar. I think some of you are already, I know you're Saturday night people, so you're already seeing where the story is going. So God says to Joshua, I have given Jericho into your hand, the king and the mighty man. 
And God says, here is the strategy. You are going to walk around the walls of Jericho for six days. Then on the seventh day, something is about to happen. You know the number seven is the number of completion. So why would God require them to walk around the walls of Jericho and make sure that on the seventh day when the trumpet sounds, the walls of Jericho fall. Scripture tells us that Jericho was shut up. Nobody would go in and nobody would come out. These people had already offered up their sacrifice, building the foundations of Jericho. They offered up their sacrifice building the wall that protected Jericho. They shut up the gates. They had their gods that they worshipped. Therefore, they believed that they are safe and secure. The gods that they worship who protect them. The sacrifices they offered not just on the altars in Jericho, but the sacrifices they offered on the walls of Jericho guaranteed divine protection. But there is something that is peculiar in the book of Joshua because when they were about to go and take Jericho, there is an angel that encountered Joshua. Anybody remember? When he said, are you for us? Or you are against us? That's in Joshua 5, verse number 13 to 15. That tells me that the battle for Jericho was not a physical battle. But the battle for Jericho was a spiritual battle. Remember, Ephesians says, we wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood. But we are wrestling against spirit, principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness. And all those, that's what we are dealing with. So God is saying, Joshua, this is not a physical battle. This is a spiritual battle. But guess what? I have given Jericho into your hands. It doesn't matter how big a sacrifice they offered on the walls of Jericho. I am the God who is able to deal with every altar in the land. Oh, it's going to get good now. This is spiritual warfare. From Genesis to Revelation, God has never lost a battle. No matter how powerful the gods that are in the city might be, no matter how powerful their offerings were, no matter how powerful and potent their sacrifices were, God is able. Why? Because he is God all by himself. So God said, there are some demonic altars in Jericho. There are some demonic altars, demonic places of sacrifice on the walls. But I have given you Jericho into your hands. In Exodus 34, number 13, God says, But you shall destroy their altars 
break their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images or their wooden crews. God is saying, when I begin to deal with the iniquity of the Amorites and the Canaanites, I am not just going to deal with the gods, but I'm going to deal with every representation that they have in the land. So God said, Joshua, I am going to be the God who deals with all the altars of Jericho, and I'm going to give you the land. So why are you saying all those different things? Because there are some places where God has given you certain things. But these things are places were not in the hands of godly people. They were in the hands of ungodly people. And God is saying, listen, I have already given you all this. I have dealt with all the gods that are there, but now it is your turn in the natural realm to manifest what I have already done in the realm of a spirit. Let me give you a biblical pattern. You see, the story that is there is that years before David had an encounter with Goliath. Children of Israel were in a battle with the Philistines. And because the battle was going sour, going against them, Eli's two sons violated God's principle and order of how many times you are supposed to enter into the most holy place. Because they entered in to get the Ark of the Covenant and take it into battle thinking that they would win, but they were in violation of the protocols that God had established. And you know the story how they lost the battle and the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines. And you know the story of how they moved the Ark of God from city to city to city. And you know the story of how they put the Ark of the Covenant in the temple of their god Dagon and how God dealt with Dagon. Anybody remember the story? And it is fascinating to me that when the encounter came to an end, Dagon was falling, he was cut off. And one of the things that was cut off from Dagon was what? His head. It was already done. God had judged the God of the Philistines. But he was looking for somebody now. Oh, hallelujah. He was looking for somebody now in the natural realm who was going to do what God had already done in the spirit. But when David went into battle with Goliath, Goliath made a distinction. He said, I am going to feed your carcass to the birds of the end. He suddenly shifted the battle from the natural realm into the realm of the spirit. Unfortunately, his God had already been defeated years before that appointed time. So God said, David, here's an opportunity to do what I've already done in the spirit. And God is saying now to Joshua, Joshua, here is an opportunity to do what I've already done in the spirit. I've already given you this land, this king, and the mighty men of valor in this land. It's already in your hand. 
But this is the blueprint. Are we still together? I'm looking at your faces to see if there's anything else I really, really have to explain that everybody can understand. So I've already given you this. It's already done, but now it is your turn to go and do. But you are not going to do it your way. You are going to do it my way. Because if you remember, in the next battle, the battle of AI, or I, AI it is, they thought to do it their own way. And they lost the battle to a small city. It was smaller than Jericho. But they did it their own way. And they lost. So what I'm saying is, God has already measured and judged in the realm of the spirit that this is going to be yours. But if you do it your way, you will lose it. But if you do it God's way, it's coming your way. It's already done in the spirit. The natural realm is going to manifest what God has already done. All you have to do is walk in accordance with the rules, regulations, and the protocol that God has set forth. Oh, I'm about to preach now. Maybe there is a business that God already said, it is yours, but all you have to do, don't do it your way. Do it the way that God has prescribed so that you might see in the natural realm what God has already done in the spirit. Why am I emphasizing this? Because obedience is better than sacrifice. So you obey what God has said. If you obey what God has said, what he has already done in the spirit is going to become your reality. Because oftentimes God says, listen, I have already given you this. Now go fight for it. Wait a minute. You have already given it to me. Why do I have to go and fight for it? Wait a minute again. You said it's mine already. Why do I have to go and work for it? Well, you are going to go work for it because already yours. Why am I fighting for it when God has already given it to me? Well, you are fighting for it because it's yours. That in our minds, that doesn't compute. It's already mine. Why am I fighting for it? Well, you are fighting for it because it is yours. Well, with prayer and supplication, prosperity is coming your way, but you got to go to work. You get a revelation of the great destiny that's coming your way. But you're going to know how to balance a checkbook. Listen. No matter how holy you are, no matter how spiritual you are, I've never seen a pen jump out of the pen box by itself 
Get a piece of paper and balance your books by itself. What I'm saying is, no matter what God has given you, it's not an exemption from work. It's not an exemption from fighting. You still have to go and fight. But you are fighting from a place of victory. And to guarantee that victory, you do it God's way. Joshua, I have already given you Jericho, but guess what you're going to do? You're going to walk around Jericho six days, on the seventh day, seven times, sound the trumpet, the walls go what? Why? Because I am going to judge the altar of Jericho. Let's real walk. 